first nine verses. Philippians chapter four, a passage that I'm sure is familiar to a lot of us. But let's come with with humble hearts, with open hearts, till we hear what God has to say to us this morning. Philippians chapter four, beginning our reading at verse one. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in those words we were singing, we're reminded with the psalmist that your word is a lamp unto our feet. Your word is a light unto our path. Father, we thank you that your word is truth, that your word gives life. We ask, Lord, that you teach us now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Sarah Edwards, who lived in the 1700s, is probably best known because of her husband, Jonathan. Some of you may have heard of Jonathan Edwards. He's Seen as one of the greatest Christian thinkers potentially to to have ever lived. He was one of the main people used by God in the Great Awakenings in America. But just recently, I was reading a letter that Sarah wrote to her daughter Esther, just two weeks after she had received word that her husband Jonathan had died from a smallpox fever. He had just weeks previously left his pastorate in Massachusetts to become the principal of Princeton University and Sarah had presumably been left with the task of gathering all of their belongings and whoever was still at home of their 11 children and to bring them to go and meet her husband at Princeton. But before she arrived, she received word of her husband passing away. Sarah was now a single mother of a lot of children. She was jobless. She was in the process of moving house and moving state. And she probably didn't really know what the next few days looked like, never mind years. Really, if there was anyone in this world who seemed to have reason to worry, to be anxious about the future, we'd probably think that Sarah Edwards is pretty far up that list. Her world, in just a matter of moments, seemed to be turned completely on her head. But as I was preparing this message over the last week, I was thinking particularly of the words we read in verse 7 in our passage, and the peace of God which surpasses understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Thinking upon that peace of God that comes in Christ Jesus, I was struck by these words that Sarah writes to her daughter Esther. The Lord has done it. 
He has made me adore his goodness that we had him so long. But my God lives and he has my heart. My God lives and he has my heart. How can we know such peace amidst the turmoil of life when life seems to pull and stretch us from every angle? How can we obey when Paul says, do not be anxious about anything? It seems like an almost impossible task, doesn't it? To say and believe in the chaos of life that my God has my heart. Well, from these wonderful verses this morning, I want us to see and know the peace that comes through Christ. To see and know the peace that comes through Christ. We're going to split our passage into two this evening. Looking firstly at peace in community, and then secondly at peace in our minds. Peace in community and peace in our minds. So firstly, peace in community. Look with me again in your, in your Bibles at verses 1 to 3. If I can get the... Peace and community, perfect. Verses 1 to 3 in your Bibles. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul is coming to the close of his letter to the Philippian church. And throughout he has been encouraging this group of believers in Philippi to keep their eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. To live in light of the eternity that is guaranteed to them because of their faith in Jesus Christ. He's encouraged them to live a life worthy of the gospel. Chapter 1 verse 27. Because after all for Paul to live is Christ. Verse 21 of chapter 1. The church in Philippi are to live as witnesses to the amazing love and to the amazing grace shown to them in Jesus Christ, following the example that they have in Jesus. And in the section just previous to ours this morning, we see Paul encouraging these believers to strain towards their goal. Look with me up at verse 13 in chapter 3. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then down in verse 17, brothers, join in imitating me. Paul saying, join with me in striving toward heaven, running the race until we see our Savior face to face. That is where we belong. As verse 20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. And as we come down to verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul calls these believers to stand firm in the Lord, to not be shaken, to not be distracted from this goal, but to stand firm. These are people that Paul cares so deeply for. They are his brothers and sisters who he loves and longs for, seeing them follow after the Lord. It's his joy, it's his crowning achievement. He longs for them to keep going. But it's not all plain sailing, because problems have arisen in Philippi. We're not given the details, we don't know what this disagreement that has come up is about, but there's become division, there is no longer peace in the church in Philippi. Rather, there are two ladies who we see mentioned in verse 2 who have had a, a disagreement about something. 
And this division is hindering both the unity of the church, of them striving side by side for the one goal, being of one mind as one body, as chapter or as verse 27 of chapter 1 describes the church should be, but it's also hindering their witness to those looking into the church. As believers, as those who claim to have been forgiven so much, yet we cannot forgive each other. As those who say our citizenship is in heaven, to live is Christ, our minds are set on heavenly things. Yet we squabble over whatever it might be, sometimes even the tiniest of issues. Sometimes we might think, how can we blame those who look in at the church and say all they see is hypocrisy? This is not an issue that Paul can just pass over. And so instead he calls them both by name, which I'm sure would have made everyone sit upright whenever this was first read aloud. But he calls them by name and also asks for the help of his true companion, which many have differed for years on who this true companion might have been. Some saying it's Luke, others saying it might be a specific elder in the church there in Philippi, but those in the Philippian church would have known who he was referring to. But he calls on him to help them as well. Don't just treat this like a a side issue and let them figure it out on their own over time. No, help them to agree in the Lord. To agree in the Lord. These are women who have laboured side by side with Paul, who have fought and strove for the gospel in Philippi. People who he is confident their names are in the book of life. He's seen the fruit of the Spirit in their lives and he knows their citizenship is in heaven. And so strive for peace amongst yourselves. Agree in the Lord, forgiving what needs to be forgiven, forgetting what needs to be forgotten, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Refixing our eyes upon Jesus. Remembering the example we have in him in his humility, calling us again back to to chapter 2 and verse 3. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. Disagreement leading to disunity amongst the church is not a, a minor issue. And so if there are ever people in this church who you have fallen out with, who you purposely want to sit at opposite sides of the room from and avoid them on the way out the door, can I encourage you to agree in the Lord? To look at the, the bigger picture, so to speak, to think of our unity as a, as a body, our witness to those outside. Would we forgive what needs to be forgiven? Would we forget what needs to be forgotten? Even when those things seem like a really difficult thing to do. And would we strive side by side with each other? Would we labor together in the gospel? Standing firm in the Lord with peace amongst ourselves. Let us strive for peace in community. Secondly, look with me in your Bibles at verses 4 to 9 on how we can know peace in our minds. We're going to split this passage into two, but let's just read quickly verses 4 to 9 and remind ourselves of them. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. I'm sure each of us in this room know what it's like to be anxious, don't we? To worry about things in life, whether it be your, your own future situations in your work or with your friends, different problems that have arisen. Maybe it's your busyness and the amount of things you see on your to-do list or on your calendar and you're really not quite sure how you're going to get through it all. Maybe it's your financial situation and you're not sure how you're going to make it from the end of one month to the next. We often have great anxiety and worry about health issues. Maybe they're for your own health, but quite often they're for the ones who are closest to us, aren't they? Maybe for your husband or your wife. Maybe it's worry about parents or grandparents and how you're going to care for them, what the future might look for them. Maybe you worry about your children or your grandchildren, what they're going to make of their lives, what career they'll choose, how school and exams will go, where they're going to live, what they're going to make of their life. I'm sure each of us in this room can think of those burdens, those worries that seem to lay on our shoulders, that pit in our stomach that keeps us up at night, anxious and worried about something, whatever it might be. And yet here we read Paul's word, this seeming impossible command, do not be anxious about anything. How can we do it? How can Paul be so bold to call us to that, to not be anxious about anything? Well, I want to split these verses, these remaining verses into two. Two ways that Paul gives us to not be anxious about anything. He doesn't just tell us to do it and then leave us on our own. No, rather, so much could be said about how Paul calls us to know the peace of God, that peace that surpasses understanding. But for time's sake, we're going to split them into two. How can we know peace instead of our anxiety? Pray about everything and fill your mind with good things. Oh, let's go. There we go. Pray about everything and fill your mind with good things. Verse 5, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How can we know the peace of God? Well, firstly, by praying about everything. The story goes of a lady who once approached her minister asking if she can only pray about the big things to God or if she's allowed to pray about the small things too. Her minister replied saying, Ma'am, all of our problems are small to God. Now, please don't misunderstand what he's saying there. In no way is he minimizing the trials or the problems that she has in life or implying in any way that God doesn't care about them. But rather he's doing the exact opposite. He's trying to lift her eyes to see the greatness and the majesty of our God. That he is sovereign over all of creation. He is sovereign over all things. Nothing that you bring to him is too big that he cannot handle it. And nothing that you bring to our God is too small that he does not care. 
He is at both one and the same time king of the universe and our caring father. How often do we let the little things in life bother us and yet we allow them to build and build because we allow ourselves to believe the lies that either God doesn't care or I can figure this out by myself. Knowing everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. He delights to answer the prayers of his children as we come in the name of Jesus. Both the big things and the small things, bring them to God in prayer. But bring them submitting to his will. Your will be done must be the posture of our hearts if we are to know the peace of God. Because prayer is not us coming to God trying to twist his arm to our purposes and our desires. But it's a realigning of our hearts to his. But oh, what peace that brings us. To know that in everything, both the life-changing news that comes or the little things that make us worry about tomorrow, we can bring them to God in prayer. We can lay them at his feet, taking the burden off of our shoulders and laying them at his feet, knowing that he is in control and he is good. The Lord is at hand, as verse 5 says, or maybe more so, the Lord is near. Friends, do not trudge through the worries and the troubles of life each day, trying to figure it out on your own. Or God is not far off. He is not aloof and distant to your anxiety. Rather, he is near. He surrounds you. He hears your cries. And so in everything... Would you bring it to God in prayer and let his peace guard your heart and guard your mind? A peace that surpasses understanding because it is a peace that rests in our God even when we don't understand what he's doing. A peace beyond what we could muster up ourselves because it's a peace beyond ourselves. One that rests in our Father. Before we move on, I want you to notice one other thing that Paul mentions here about our prayers. We're to pray about everything, but our prayers aren't meant to solely be requests to God. Look at verse 6. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Our prayers are to be filled with thanksgiving to God. This idea is what Paul is getting at in verse 4 as well. Look with me. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is the third time in just four chapters that Paul has called the church to rejoice in the Lord. And so we might mistakenly think that Paul is writing these words while feeling on top of the world. He has his feet up on a beach somewhere with not a care in the world. Eat, drink, and be merry. Rejoice. But no, Paul is calling the church to rejoice and says that he himself is rejoicing while currently being shackled to a Roman guard imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. This is not some airy-fairy happiness because life is going well and so Paul can say rejoice. No, Paul knows very much firsthand the difficulties of life and yet he can say he has joy in the Lord. He has a deep-rooted, heartfelt joy in his Saviour because, not because of his circumstances in life, but despite his circumstances. 
Because he knows his God. He knows what has been done for him in Jesus Christ. And he knows that that can never be taken away. That nothing in all of this world can separate him from the love of Jesus Christ. And so he has countless reasons to rejoice. So how does Paul want us firstly to know the peace of God amidst our anxiety? It's by praying about everything, but also letting our prayers be filled with rejoicing. With thanking God for all that he has done and all that he is continuing to do for us each and every day. Praying that God would continue to open our eyes to the abundance of things we have to be thankful for. And that joy, that rejoicing in the Lord. Well, Paul seems to see one of the primary overflows of that. Verse 5 is that everyone around us would see our reasonableness. Or maybe better translated, our gentleness. As those who are rejoicing in the grace of God shown to us in Jesus Christ. And all that God has done for us. An overflow of that is that we should be gentle to those around us reflecting in how we treat others. Again, coming back to the idea of peace and community that he began with. But reflecting in how we treat others, with how we ourselves have been welcomed with gentleness and welcomed with mercy by our Saviour. Again, what a reason to rejoice. And so, we're to pray about everything, both the big and the small. And in our prayers, let us overflow in thanksgiving and rejoicing to God for his goodness. That is how, firstly, we can know the peace of God in Christ Jesus. But the second way that Paul tells us to know this peace is by filling our minds with good things. Verses 8 to 10. Filling our minds with good things. Following on from Paul calling us to rejoice and to fill our prayers with thanksgiving, he now tells us that instead of filling our minds with things that might make us more anxious and more worried, things that take our eyes off of God, he instead calls us to fill our minds with good things. Because every day of your life, there is a battle that goes on for what is going to fill your mind up. For so many of us, every day of our lives, our minds are swamped by the latest tragedy on the news, the next workplace drama at work, the most recent thing that your neighbour who loves to complain wants to talk about. Then we go home and we turn on our TVs and, or fill our minds with mind-numbing social media or the latest movie or show or reality TV. Every day we're bombarded with lies, not truth. With people being dishonourable instead of honouring those around them. We look at the news and all we seem to see is injustice. Practically every movie or TV show around is filled with what is the exact opposite of what is pure, lovely and commendable. Is there any excellence? Is there anything worthy of praise with what we fill our minds with each day? Is there any question really as to why today's society seems to be so plagued with worries and anxiety when peace seems to be such a foreign concept? Would each of us here seek to fill our minds with what is good, to celebrate and to think upon the things which are honourable, which are lovely, those things in this world that are actually worthy of praise? But above all, would we fill our minds with the truth that we have in our hands? 
Would we be a people who are saturated in our Bibles and a people who every day think upon the one who is true, the one who is truly honourable and just, the one who amidst a world of sin and a world of defilement was truly pure, who was truly lovely and commendable, would we think upon the one who is excellent and above all others is worthy of our praise? Every day would each of us fill our minds and think upon Jesus Christ. Would we remind ourselves in his word of his goodness and of his glory? Would we remind ourselves that the only way that we can know the peace of God amidst our worry and our anxieties because we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. That though we were once enemies, though we were once rebels against our God, yet through Jesus Christ we have peace. You're here this morning and you are outside of Jesus Christ. If you have not put your faith in him for the forgiveness of your sins, and the Bible tells us you do not have this peace. Outside of Christ, we cannot know the peace that surpasses understanding. Outside of Christ, the God of peace is not with us. Because if you have not put your faith in Jesus, then the Bible tells us you are completely deserving of God's wrath. Your enemies with him, but oh how wonderful it is that even this morning you can know the peace of God, the peace that surpasses understanding because you can come to Jesus even this morning to know forgiveness for your sins, the wrath that you deserve taken upon his shoulders. Instead of being enemies with God, you can be called a child of God. But that is found only in Jesus Christ. Can I plead with you this morning to think upon these things, to think upon your need for Jesus, because outside of him we are told we are lost, guilty, and dead in our sin, but in Christ we can be made alive, we can be forgiven, we can be given a peace beyond our understanding. Christian, Jesus is our greatest example Our purpose behind us striving for peace in community amongst ourselves. He is the only reason that we can come to our Father in prayer with everything in our lives. We come to God only through the name of Jesus. He is the supreme reason we have to rejoice in the Lord always. He has redeemed us from our sin and we are secure in Him forever. Every spiritual blessing that we have flows from our union with Jesus Christ. He is why we can rejoice in the Lord always. And Jesus, above everything else, is the one who we should fill our minds with. Would he be the one who we strive to know more and more each day? Would he be the reason that instead of our minds being weighed down with the weight of your worries in life, rather would you come to him? Would you rest in Jesus Christ alone? Would you come to find grace? Would you come to find peace for your soul? Would you come to find the peace of God which surpasses all understanding as it guards your heart and your mind only in Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we realize that as we come here, we... Some come with worries, some come with anxieties and stresses of life that even maybe coming out of the house is a 
a difficult and a worrying thing to do. But Father, we thank you that you are a God who knows each of us. You're a God who loves us, who cares for us, who calls us to lay everything at your feet. Father, would you help us in both the big things and the small things of life to remind, to be reminded that you are both king of the universe, but our caring Father. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you that it is through him alone we can come before your throne. We thank you that it is through him alone we have peace with you because of his finished work on the cross. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope that we have. And it's in Jesus' great name that we pray. Amen. Amen.